Well, today we return back to the action. I don't know if you have noticed, if you've been with us since the fall, we've been going through the book of John, but things really changed after the first of the year in terms of the tone of the book of John. We were, we're now in the second half, the book of glory. And, you know, the first half, if you were here with us, was all action, right? It was Jesus healing people and, and traveling about and getting on boats and, and taking care of people and doing miracles and teaching. It was so much action, it was almost like a, an action-packed movie. And I know it was cinema cinematic because many of you, after I would preach something from the book of John, whether it was, you know, the turning the water into wine or the story of Mary Magdalene, many of you felt compelled to then send me the episode of The Chosen that covered that topic. If you're into The Chosen, a TV show on the, on the story, and many of those stories from John were there. So all of you all sent them to me, and I would look at them, and I'd think, shoot, I should have watched this before I prepared the sermon. I could have saved myself some time. They really uh, covered all the details for me, but um, I don't know. That, that was kind of how the first half of John was. And I, you know, we haven't gotten that far. Paul and I are finally watching The Chosen. We're kind of late to the party here, but we're only in season one. Um, but I'm, so I'm not sure, but it's, I'm imagining that probably not as much of episodes about what we've been studying the last few weeks, the, the, the final discourse of Jesus, his final teachings, his final prayer, because it's just not as much action. It's more talk. I know now I've done it because some of you chosen people are going to go, wait a minute, I think there is episodes about the final discourse. I'm going to go look them up and send them to you. So go ahead. But the point, my point, my point, what is my point? My point here is that we are returning now to the action which takes us to the end of Jesus' life. We are, we are returning to the end stages of the great drama of this incredible life of Jesus on earth. And we're going to be seeing him all the way to the cross. These last several chapters, 18 to 21, we're going to cover over the next three weeks as we go to the end of John. And as we are in this drama, in this movie, as it's playing out, um, there's three main characters that we're going to see introduced here in the book of, uh, in John 18. The first one, of course, is Jesus. He's the main character. He is the protagonist of the story and who it all happens to. But we also have Peter. Peter's like that side story, you know, in a movie how they, you, you know, you're going along and then all of a sudden they cut to some little side story uh, right in the middle of suspense and, and you see this other character. Well, that's Peter, right? He's got a side story going on at the same time as Jesus. And then the third character I'm calling the forces of evil. This role is played by different people throughout this story. We have Judas, of course, but we also have the religious leaders, we have the Roman soldiers, we have Pilate, all people who are used by evil to, to bring Jesus to the cross. The forces of evil are bringing Jesus to the cross, but ultimately those forces of evil are overwhelmed and overpowered by the cross. Amen? So we're going to go to the start of John 18, where we're going to see that Jesus had just finished praying that prayer that we talked about last week. He's led his disciples into the garden, and now um, we're going to be following this story. And I'm, this sermon will be a little different from other sermons. We're just going to kind of walk through John 18. We're going to walk through the action. We're going to see what the different characters are doing in this action. So let's start on, Ju on John 18, verses, verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had just come to the garden, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. 
So here we see this character, this forces of evil, right, begin to amass against Jesus as he is accosted in the garden by these Roman soldiers. And of course, Judas is initially the face of this evil, correct? He's the one who knows exactly where Jesus is and leads them right to him. And we know that Judas is motivated by greed. Um, he gets some money for, for giving them in to giving Jesus to the authorities. But there's even some evidence here that, that forces kind of beyond Judas' control are beginning to take over. It's, there's some thought that he didn't maybe anticipate that Jesus was actually going to be executed, that he may have regretted that afterwards. But his decision to betray Jesus for money set the forces of evil in motion. And the train was, was, not leaving, the sta was leaving the station, and it was not stopping now. I want you to take note of a little comment here about Jesus, because we're going to come back to it. It says he was knowing all that was going to happen to him. Jesus knew what was happening. So now we cut to Peter, another character in our story. He's, it's kind of like, again, in the movies, the sub-story's going on. It's going to be all throughout this chapter in John 18, 10 to 11. Simon Peter is in the garden. The soldiers have come. Uh, and Simon Peter, who's always, you know, full of energy, right, had a sword. He drew it struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? So we see this great example of Peter's rashness here, right? He's a man of high highs and low lows. We've seen that all along. And here he's, he's acting without thinking, without really understanding what's going on here. He actually thinks there's going to be a battle. <laughs> he's got a sword out. Um, and you know, I want us to see ourselves just a little bit in Peter, right? We sometimes don't get it right. Am I right? We sometimes miss the point of what's happening. We sometimes act rashly kind of in our flesh, just, just out of emotion or say what the first thing that comes to mind. He's kind of like that. We say we're going to read the Bible every day. We're going to read, for, pray for an hour every day. You know, we make all these resolutions, and then a couple weeks later, oh, yeah, I was going to do that thing about praying <laughs> and read my Bible, right? We, we're all like that. We make brash promises that it's hard to follow through on. Some days we're full of faith. Some days we're kind of depressed <laughs> and wonder if it's all true. We're up and we're down, and that's, that's Peter, too. And so I want us to take note again of something that Jesus says here. He says, shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? See, he's, he's got his mind on what's happening here. He knows what's happening. He's in complete control of what's happening. So let's go back. The forces of evil are going to kick back in again in this story. John 18, 12 to 13. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials greeted, arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. Jesus is arrested and then questioned, and we see that here um, by the high priest. And if you've been reading this carefully, you're asking your, the question, which one's the high priest? Is it Annas or is it Caiaphas? It's not really clear from the text, and he's questioned twice by two different high priest, what's happening here? And so, um, hold on, I sometimes do a little Bible geeking, so we're going to just do a little, we're going to do a little uh, Bible geek here. I went and researched this a little bit, and it's actually the case that both of them were considered the high priest. I'm going to read to you from one of my commentaries on this. I think this is interesting. Annas held the official office of high priest from A.D. 6 until A.D. 15. Now, keep in mind, we're now in A.D. 33. So this was some years back. He had been had the office of high priest when Valerius Gratus, Pilate's predecessor, deposed him. In those days, the Roman people, the Roman officials, appointed the high priest. You can see the, the sort of corruption going on, right? So that, that Roman predecessor deposed Annas, but Annas uh, continued to hold enormous influence, no fewer than five of Annas' sons and his son-in-law Caiaphas, 
that's who Caiaphas is, held the office at one time or another. Annas was still thus the patriarch of a high priestly family. And doubtless many considered him still the real high priest, even though Caiaphas was the high priest by Roman lights. Luke preserves the same tension. He dates the opening of John the Baptist's ministry during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So we have here two high priests, both called to serve God, both called to, to bring, Jesus, bring, bring God to the community, to have godly wisdom, to know the scriptures. And instead, both of them allow themselves to be used by the forces of evil. Do you see that? That there they are, taking an innocent man to his death pushing for his death. And the first high priest to question Jesus in verse 19 is Annas. We'll read that from verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus, so this is Annas now, about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus answered, testify as to what is wrong. But I, if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? And then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. I kind of like this little bit here in John because we sometimes have the impression that Jesus didn't say anything during his trial because certainly for much of it he was silent. Mark comments at how, how he didn't answer them back and Pilate was amazed. So there's moments at which he was silent, but there's also moments like this where he spoke up. He's a little spicy here. Do you see that? I mean, he is, why question me? You could have seen me. I was right out there. Where were all y'all? Come see me teach and tell me what I said. Um, so he's got a little bit of, of some edge here, and we know to notice this is how Jesus acts in the face of evil and injustice. See, he is decidedly nonviolent. He didn't like it when, when Peter pulled out the sword. He said, we're not going to do that this way. We're not going to use violence. But he's also not a pushover. He has no problem advocating for himself. He knows he's going to not get a fair trial, but he's pushing for it anyway. He wants it to be clear that what they're doing is not right. And so he's not afraid to advocate for himself. We move on to the other high priest. Obviously, feeling like he's getting nowhere, Anna says, I don't want to deal with this. I'm pushing it off to my good old son-in-law. <laughs> you married my daughter, now you get to deal with Jesus. I don't want to deal with him. You take him. So he pushes Jesus off to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas, um, we don't know what he says. We know he questioned him, but we don't know what he says because the next thing we know in the text is that Caiaphas sends him off to the Roman governor, Pilate. Both high priests had an opportunity to do right didn't they? They could have recognized that Jesus was not guilty of a crime. They could have talked sense to one another. They could have stopped one another. They could have even allowed for the possibility that Jesus maybe even was who he said he was, maybe. But they didn't. They didn't. Whether motivated by fear or power or money, we don't know, but they allowed, again, the forces of evil to carry Jesus before Pilate, who did have the power to execute him. So let's, let's read this part of the drama starting in verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out and said, and said out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law but we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus said about the kind of death 
he was going to die. So here we see Judas, Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, all players playing that same role as operating for the forces of evil, pushing Jesus to the cross. Somebody say forces of evil. Forces of evil. The forces of evil are moving through these men and pushing Jesus to the cross, which now leads us to Jesus. Hallelujah. We get to Jesus here. The main character in this drama, what do we see about him? What's he like here? Is he frantic? Is he angry? He's getting no justice. He's about to be painfully executed. What we see in Jesus is calm control. Isn't that amazing? He's completely in control. Scripture says he knows what's going to happen. I told you to remember that point. He knows what's going to happen. He's got a cup he's going to drink, and he's going to drink it. He's decided already in his heart he's going to drink that cup. He's master of the situation. He speaks when he wants to speak, and he's quiet when he wants to be quiet. He's not afraid. He recognizes that no one else wrote the script. He wrote the script. He's in charge of the script of this play. He also recognizes that this has been foretold. It's interesting. If you now go back to John 10, we've been through so much of John already, right? But if we go back to John 10, and we probably missed this. We didn't really catch this little verse. He said someone, something that no one even understood then, but we get it now in this moment. John 10, 17 to 18. What does he say? He says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus is in control. Amen? He's in control of his life. He's in control of your life. He's in control of the course of history. Jesus is completely in control. We see that here in John 18. Now, let's flip back to Peter. It's just like the movie. We're all in suspense. What's happening next? Now we go to Peter's sub-story. Of course, this takes place while Jesus is being questioned. He's waiting in the high priest's courtyard, and a servant girl comes up to him and talks to him. And she says this, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. A few verses later, it says this. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? <laughs> Again, Peter denied it. In that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, if you'll recall back in John 13, after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, he said two things. He said, two of you are going to betray me. Judas was going to betray him. And he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times before the rooster crows. And no one believed it, but here it is in this moment. And it was certainly a low moment. The other, this, this, this gospel doesn't record it, but all three other gospels which record this moment say that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He knew. He knew Jesus was right, and he knew he'd failed him. The story is so familiar to so many of us, if we've been in church a while, that we're in, in danger of missing the point of it. It's not that, Jesus, or that Peter was so bad, such a terrible person. Actually, what he did is very consistent with his personality. Am I right? <laughs> he was very rash. He acted according to the flesh. He had a moment of fear, and he said, no, I don't know. I don't know. You know they're, they're about to kill people, right? So he, he's in a moment of fear, and he denies Jesus. This is very consistent. He's rash. The point is not that Peter's so bad. The point is that all of us at some point will fail Jesus. All of us will. All of us do. We all have low points in our faith. 
The other disciples scattered as well. They don't talk as much about that, but in Matthew 25, it says that all the disciples deserted him and fled after Jesus was, was arrested. Not one of them stayed. All those good disciples that saw him do all those miracles, they saw way more than we've seen, right? And, and yet they all fled as well. Who are we to think we're going to be much different from them? Here's the thing. I think sometimes we get this impression that we come to church and everybody in here must have a better faith than I do. Everybody looks pretty good. You know, you're all dressed. You're looking good. I got my special earrings on. You know, like we're all, we're all looking good. And so it seems, and we're praising the Lord. So it seems like everybody else has got their faith act together. You know, like they're all full of faith and nobody here ever, you know, doubts God or says no to God when he calls. Like we're all just saying yes all the time, right? And the problem with that kind of thinking is that when you finally are doing something and you, you, you start to doubt or God starts to call you to something and you don't want to do it, so you just stop listening and you're like, la, 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 I don't want to hear what God's saying. We think, well, I've, I've messed up. I'm a bad Christian. Everybody else is a better Christian than I am. Everybody else gets this better than I do. I must not be real. I must not really have faith. They all have faith. I don't have faith. Or worse yet, sometimes we say, well, then this Christian faith must not be true at all. If it's not working for me, I mean, it's obviously working for everybody else, not working for me. Can I just say this morning, church, that that's a lie from the enemy? Can I just say that? That there's not a person in here who doesn't doubt, who doesn't sometimes say no to God, even me, even your elders, even Charles up on the stage, even every one of us has moments of weakness in our faith where we're like afraid to hear, so we kind of avoid God for a little while. We don't read that piece of scripture because we don't really want to hear that. All of us, all of us. Just the other day, God convicted me so hard because I was not being loving or compassionate. I was being very selfish about something. And I just had to repent. This is not 10 years ago. This is about three days ago. So this is, this is who we are. See, being a Christian doesn't mean that you got it all right all the time that you're always perfect, that you're always doing the right thing. Being a Christian means you belong to Jesus and that Jesus loves you and that he's walking with you in this journey and that, yes, as we walk with him and as we stay in his, his presence and we let him love us, we start to get a little better sometimes, right? We get a little better at saying no to sin and we get better at saying yes to God. But that's what it's about. It's about knowing him and about loving him and obeying him. And as the Holy Spirit indwells us and we dwell with him, as we've been listening in John, dwell in him, abide in me, and I will abide in you, then we begin to walk more and more as Jesus wants us to walk. May that be an encouragement to you. May, G May Peter be an encouragement to you today. We should take great hope in him, doubting and denying and running from what God wants him to do because at the end of the movie, it ends well for Peter. I just want you to know. <laughs> He is a man of great faith. He does great things for the kingdom. He actually becomes a leader in the early church. First and second Peter in your Bible were written by him. I think God redeemed him. Amen? And he can do the same for you and me. He can use you for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's get back to the story, shall we? Returns to Pilate, the forces of evil working through Pilate. And for a moment in the drama, we have a second where we wonder, we hope, may, just maybe Pilate will do the right thing, <laughs> right? Just there's a minute here where maybe he will stand strong against the fear and the forces of evil working within him, that he could actually be a force for good. He starts asking some good questions of Jesus. Let's, let's listen to them. 
from starting from verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Again, he's a little spicy. Jesus has got, you know, got it going here. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. Pilate's really trying to figure Jesus out. And we know from the book of Matthew that even Pilate's wife is telling him, I, I warrant, don't do anything to this innocent man. She said that she's had a terrible dream because of him. I've suffered a great deal in a dream because of him. I have nothing to do with this innocent man. She's warning him away. There was a moment here, people, where Pilate could have done the, the right thing, just like the high priest. They had a moment. He had a moment here where he could have stopped the train. He could have stopped the injustice. He had the power to do that. He could have resisted the power of fear and the power of and wanting, wanting power and to retain his own power. He could have just released Jesus. He could have just done that. Honestly, he just should have listened to his wife. There's a lesson for you men here. There's a lesson here. That would have been easier. He wouldn't even have to be too strong. Just listen to your wife. Whenever evil pulls on us and evil will pull on us, there will be moments for us where it'll be easier to be silent, where it'll be easier not to intervene, where it'll be easier not to do the right thing, where it'll be easier not to be loving and selfless and compassionate. But there's always another pull to the good. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, when you're tempted, God will always provide a way out. He had a way out. He just didn't take it. Instead, the chapter ends here with Pilate caving into his weakness and the evil forces surge forward like a tide. John 18, 38 to 40. Pilate went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And so Barabbas, a common criminal, is released. And Jesus, the son of God, is sent to his death. Pilate had allowed it to happen even though he had the power to stop it. And that's the end of John 18. What a drama. What a drama. So do we see ourselves in these characters in the drama? Where do we see ourselves? We first of all have Pilate, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders like Annas and Caiaphas. We don't like to see ourselves in these bad characters, right? They're, 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 they're not the good, good guys, right? We don't want to be them. But I am not 100% certain that if I weren't in their situation in that moment that I might not have fallen prey to the same temptations they had. The temptations on them were pretty strong. They meant well in many ways, didn't they? I mean, Pilate, I'm sure, wanted to be a good Roman governor. He was appointed to take care of the people, to protect the people, to, to care for all the people in his domain. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders like Annas and Caiaphas, I mean, they were, they were the keepers of the faith. They were devout and steeped in the scripture and, and wanting to bring people into, into the truth of God. They believed firmly that they were holding on to God's law. But here's the crazy thing. Satan used people who meant well to do his work because he preyed on their love or their fear and their love of power. He preyed on their weaknesses. 
and they fell to that. Pilate's weakness, his fear of the crowds, his fear of losing his power before Caesar, uh, and, and his position was an opening for the evil one, and the evil one got right in there. He does that. The Pharisees and Jewish leaders, legalism, their rigidity and their faith, their love of power also was an opening for the enemy. Their intent may have been good at some level, but they were still used by the enemy. We have an, a phrase for that, important concept in our world today, and it's that intent is not the same thing as impact. Just because I intended to do good, I meant to do good, but if my impact was bad, then that's, that's the fact that I've hurt you. If I hurt you, even if I didn't mean to, and let's, let's be clear, it's better that I didn't mean to. <laughs> It'd be worse if I meant to hurt you. But if I hurt you and didn't mean to, I'm st yet you're still hurt. The impact is the same. It's still my responsibility to make, make that injustice right, to take care of you however I can and undo the evil that occurred through my mistake. And even people in good roles, in protective roles, in spiritual roles, who enter even into these roles for the right reasons can still fall prey to their fears and dysfunctions and be used for evil. Have we not seen this in our world, church? We see it all over our world. We see it in pastors who are called to serve people and serve God. It's a very high and holy calling. Um, and yet they fall prey to abuses and, and sexual sins and destroy whole ministries because of that. We have examples, of course, of police who, who are in situations of power. Now, we must say it's a small number of police, but still we have policemen. We've had vivid examples of policemen who are called to protect and to care for people, and yet we get to see it on tape, on video, doing horrible violence against innocent people. I just saw it just this past couple weeks, the, Ty the, the video of Tyree Nichols. You might wonder how. How can people who have signed up to do good, to help people, to protect people, to be spiritual leaders to people, to have been trained to do these things, how can this happen? But somewhere along the way, and it's just like the Pharisees, and it's just like the Roman governor, and it's just like even Judas, that somewhere along the way, something went wrong. Something got in there, and Satan was able to get a foothold. There was fear, weakness, pride, love of power, wounds undealt with, systems with bad boundaries, anger and hatred give an opening for an enemy. And when the enemy gets in there, he pants, plants in there this basic unfathomable lack of respect for the beauty of a human life. A disregard for the preciousness of all people. And this happens sometimes because of um, racial issues, raci racism and prejudice, sometimes not as in the recent case. Sometimes it is just because there's a loss of humanity as we allow Satan to take us down a road. The forces of evil begin to get an upper hand. And so we can watch this evil on YouTube. Hard to watch, terrible to watch, but it's not unlike the evil that carried our Lord Jesus to the cross. It's the same. And the enemy laughs. So Lord, help us to help one another to fight our demons, to be healed in body, mind, and soul, to be strong, to do the right thing, even when faced with pushback or danger or fear. Remind us, Lord, to care for one another as human beings, to remember at everyone who we come across, whether rich or poor, whatever color of their skin, whatever religion, whatever, wherever they live, whoever they are, they are a precious creation of yours, Lord. And may we love them 
may we care for them. May we stand up against evil and injustice which goes against them, Lord, no matter what the cost. And finally, as we we think about what God did through this situation, let's also remember that what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. Am I right? Because what we see here in in this story is that God is the God of repentance and renewal. He's the, the God of justice and reconciliation. He's the God of new life and new hope. And so that brings us to Peter. Let's talk about Peter for a bit. Maybe this morning we relate a little less, hopefully, to the Pharisees and, and to Pilate, but we possibly relate more to Peter. Peter operates according to the flesh. He does what feels right. It only affects him. It only affects me when I eat too much stuff out of my fridge, when I watch too much crummy stuff on Netflix. It only affects me, right? I'm just, just giving into my flesh. Or in the heat of the moment, we have Peter running away in fear from what God is calling us to. Here's the good news about Peter, and it's good news for you and me, that he is reinstated. We're going to get to that more a little bit later, a couple weeks, when we talk about Jesus reinstating Peter. But, but Jesus doesn't look at Peter's mistakes as, as defining of his future, but it's just part of his journey. And he begins to bring him back. God is the God of reconciliation and the renewal of repentance and rebirth. And so he rebirths Peter. Again, God takes what is meant for evil and uses it for good. So many characters in this drama, right? So many ways we may be like them, that we may be tempted to fall prey to some of the same temptations and weaknesses and sins of them. But I want to encourage you now. I want to bring us up a little bit. We've brought you down, but I'm going to bring it up a little bit to say we've got one more character we haven't really talked about, and that's Jesus. How about we be a little more like Jesus? Could we do that? Does that sound like a good plan? What was he like in the face of evil injustice? Let's, it's, it's beautiful to see when you lay it all out here. First of all, he was steady and calm. He knew his identity. He wasn't striving or struggling. He was just willing to walk with Jesus, with God through all of it. He was also confident that he was exactly where he was meant to be in that moment. I love that that's what Donna said earlier today. You're meant to be here right now. You are exactly where you're meant to be. So do good and follow Jesus and say yes to him. That's, you're right, right here, right now, and tomorrow and the next day, wherever you are. That's how Jesus was, confident he was where he was meant to be. He was also compassionate in the face of his accusers, right? We know later on that when he's on the cross, he prays forgiveness over those who have crucified him. His love for them is greater than his own need for comfort. He was also bold. When he needed to, he explained himself, and then when he didn't need to, he was quiet. He didn't feel like he had to say everything, but he also wasn't afraid to advocate for himself. He wasn't a loose cannon. He was a wise force for good, a wise, strong force for good. And Jesus also knew at the end of the day that his life was in his father's hands. So I'm just struck by the fact that there was no fear. No fear, only trust in the face of some really horrible evil. May we be more like Jesus. May we take our cues from his wisdom and trust in God. And may we never forget that the message of the gospel is that no force of evil, no matter how evil, can conquer the good. What the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn for good. Even though the forces of evil were arrayed against Jesus through Pilate, through Judas, through the Pharisees, through the high priest, even though Jesus did end up being convicted in a sham of a trial, he was crucified terribly on the cross, died and was buried. And yet we know the end of the story, don't we? 
We know that he rose again from the dead, that he conquered death. He conquered those forces of evil by the power of his own might so that you and I could believe in him, so that we could find, find forgiveness for our sins and for our weakness, that we could walk with him, become his child, and have a new life in him. And here's the thing. It's such a radical gospel that if Judas had turned to him, he could have turned to him. That if Annas and Caiaphas had decided to turn to Jesus, he would have received them. That if Pilate had turned after the fact, said to his wife, you were right, and then repented and came to Jesus, Jesus would have received him. Even though they were used by evil, even though they did the most horrendous things, their souls could have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, cleansed from all that unrighteousness. We don't know if any of them did. Their story ends here. But we know the same holds true for you and me. That from the least of us sinners among us to the greatest of sinners among us, that there's no sin so deep that God's blood cannot cover it, cannot wipe it clean. And so today we come together, and it's beautiful that today we get to celebrate communion because this is the ultimate remembrance that no matter how you came in this door today, you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you call out to him, if you repent of your sins, he will cleanse you over and over again. And the, the, the body and the blood, the representation of the body and the blood that we take at communion reminds us of that, the cleansing, the cleansing that's available to you and me. I really believe this morning that we're meant to have a time of confession of our sins. That it begins by saying to the Lord, I, I did mess up. Like Peter, I've acted according to my flesh. I've done the wrong thing. Even like Pilate or Caiaphas or Judas. That, Lord, you know. But as we confess our sins to Jesus, he is faithful to forgive. John, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So I'd like to invite the, the band to come back up and, and our prayer teams to come up. And I want us to just take a few moments to close our eyes. And to let the Lord search our hearts. I got the image of when you're looking for something in your house, you lose your socks or your shoes or something. You look through every place, right? You open every drawer, you look under the bed. So let Jesus search you this morning. Let him search into the corners of your heart, things that maybe you've not wanted to admit to him, things you've been hiding, things you're just kind of avoiding. Let him search it. And let the blood of Jesus pour through it like a cleansing flood. Let him cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As we prepare our hearts to receive communion. And for some of us, it may have been, this may be the hundredth time we have asked Jesus to forgive our sins, but there's some of you today who maybe have never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. This is kind of new, new material for you. And so I want to just encourage you that in this moment, there's nothing else, you, no other process you got to go through. Nothing you got to
to sign, nothing you got to, no hoop to jump through. All we have to do is just come to Jesus. So here I am in my sinfulness, in my weakness, in my pain, in my anger, my anxiety. And I just ask you to come into my life. Cleanse me of my sins, Lord. Help me to be your child, to trust you, 